and welcome to an Ask LGHL edition of the Land Grant Holy Land podcast. My name is Matt Tamanini. Throughout the entire college football season, I am answering and asking questions in a daily, well, mostly daily column over at LandGrantHolyLand.com called Ask LGHL. Today, as we head into the third game of Ohio State's season, there are a number of questions that I didn't get to throughout the week, so I figured answering them in one big podcast might be the most efficient way to get through them all at one time. So I've got four-ish, four or five questions here from a couple different folks that I want to run through. We're going to start out with something that CJ Tweets 333 wrote in on Twitter, and he said... Stroud seems locked in on downfield throws, but shaky on the shorter and intermediate stuff. Will JSN fix this? Well, first off, the answer is yes. Always yes when you can get Jackson Smith and Jigba on the field. He is going to help your offense in almost every imaginable way. But especially here when you're talking about throws over the middle and throws in short and intermediate passing ranges. Last year, Jackson Smith and Jigba caught 53 of his 60 targets in the middle of the field beyond the line of scrimmage. Actually, he was also 12 of 13 in the middle behind the line of scrimmage. But just talking about the throws in front of the line, he was 53 of 60. That's 88%. And he only had three drops in all of those. And those were all within 10 yards. That accounted for 1,013 yards and four touchdowns. In the two areas inside 20 yards, which I think is really what CJ's question is about from the line of scrimmage to nine yards he was 32 of 37 and then from 10 yards to 19 yards he was 15 of 16 so he is absolutely going to be able to continue to do a lot of these things the one thing we aren't 100 percent sure of is how ryan day and the coaching staff is going to use him this year of course last year he was the third quote-unquote option behind chris olave and garrett wilson now he is the number one option So will they continue to use him over the middle in that short and intermediate range? We don't really know. He only really had a handful of actual plays and targets against Notre Dame before he got hurt. So it's tough to really assess how he's going to be deployed in this new offense as the number one receiver. He clearly was also very good down the field as well. He had 11 receptions on 14 targets beyond 20 yards last year, and that accounted for four touchdowns. Um, So he can obviously do that as well. But I think CJ is right that Stroud is a great downfield thrower. I don't know that he's necessarily as good as his two immediate predecessors at quarterback at Ohio State and Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins, who both had incredible talents when it came to throwing the ball downfield. But I think Stroud is really good, potentially, you know, one of, if not the best downfield passers in the country. But it certainly helps when we have people like Olave and Wilson and Smith and Jigba. And he's certainly getting into a rhythm with Ekbuka and Harrison Jr. And in one of my Ask LGHL comments from uh, right after the, the Notre Dame game, I said that this might be an opportunity for Stroud to develop further chemistry and a working relationship with those wide receivers who he really hasn't had a whole lot of opportunity to gel with in-game, save for the Rose Bowl. But I think getting Smith and Jigba back and potentially Julian Fleming and Cameron Babb, if those two guys are going to be playing this week or in the coming weeks, as Ryan Day has led everybody to believe, obviously having more talent on the field for defenses to account for is only a good thing. But Given the fact that Smith and Jigbo was incredibly dynamic over the middle last season, especially in the 0-20 to yard range, I would imagine that given the success 
that Emeka and Marv have had down the field. I would be surprised if we didn't see JSN, you know, kind of playing the same role that he had last year. Of course, a lot of that will have to do with how much Day wants to put him in the line of getting hit hard and, you know, going over the middle is a lot more physically risky than, you know, just kind of streaking down the sidelines. So we'll see what happens. But long term, I think this is absolutely an opportunity to kind of give Stroud a safety blanket over the middle with a dynamic playmaker who can turn things in that short and intermediate range into absolutely game-changing plays while still letting the younger, less experienced talent do the things that serve them best. That being said, I also think that you can put Egbuka, you can put Harrison, you can even put Julian Fleming in different places across the field. And even though at least those former two haven't really shown a whole lot of the the shorter playmaking ability that we've seen from JSN last year, when you put Jackson back on the field, that's going to give them a whole lot more opportunities to make those types of plays because they will no longer be the singular focus of the of the secondary and of the entire defense. The defenses are going to have to kind of pay more attention to JSN because he is, I mean, I think still unequivocally the best wide receiver in the country. So I think that will also open opportunities and passing lanes for other receivers over the middle. But when it comes to just doing what Jackson Smith and Jigba does best, I, I think that what CJ is getting to is absolutely correct. That having a a great option in the short and intermediate range, who can also break one deep uh, if need be, Um, will certainly help fill out the passing offense that we've seen in the first two games of the season. Moving on to the next set of questions, at Mon Meditations, asked a couple of them. I'm going to answer two of the three. The third one had to do with why certain members of the Buckeye press corps do not ask certain types of questions. I will not even dare to try to get into other people's heads and answer questions for them. Um, So I will let that one go. However, there are two other questions that I think are really important. The first one, I'll answer a little more briefly than the second. The first one is, is Parker Fleming really the best use of the extra coach? I don't know Parker Fleming. And honestly, I don't really know that we know what kind of coach he really is um, at this point. But what I will say is, is I think having a dedicated special teams coach is actually pretty important. When you have such disparate phases of the game in the, in the special teams between kicking, punting, kick coverage, punt coverage, kick return, punt return. I think having somebody focused on that is important. I, you know, we've tried in the past having, you know, Kerry Combs split between working with the secondary and special teams. And if you have a really important reason why you need to have a certain extra offensive or defensive coach and you need to figure out a way to split things up, I think that can work. But when you're playing at such a high level, I think you need to have somebody who focuses on that type of the game. And I'm not going all trestle and saying that the punt is the most important play of the game or whatever. I'm not even going there. But but I do think it's important to have somebody focus on these things. The players that are mostly on these special teams units are either guys who aren't dedicating their full attention to special teams because they're also playing on offense or defense, which is something we'll talk about here in a second, or... They're younger players who, let's be honest, if they were on special teams in high school, it was because they were the best athletes out there and they were mostly just doing it out of their sheer talent and ability. So I think having somebody who can coach up those units as a focused special teams coach is important. And I think it's valuable. Parker Fleming, I don't know. I mean, the special teams have been kind of 
hit or miss here uh, since he's joined the staff, and especially this season. Um, I don't blame him for Noah Ruggles missing the field goal in the first uh, game against Notre Dame. Although I will note that Noah Ruggles not being a part of the team during the spring and summer is a little weird. And, and I didn't think it, at the time it really made that big of a difference because all he was going to go, all he was going to do is go out and make field goals like he did all last year. Clearly that didn't happen in the first game. And I don't know that I would chalk that up to him being away from the team during the summer. Um, but it is something to note, I think. Um, the punt returns have been pretty atrocious so far, but I think things like kick coverage and punt coverage, um, especially kick coverage, have been pretty good and, and pretty solid. And I think Jesse Murko, who I pointed out in a Your Nuts article a couple weeks ago, is having um, one of the most surprising and exciting games uh, against Notre Dame, has been pretty good. So I think the special teams have been a mixed bag so far this year. I think the SP Plus ranking for uh, Ohio State special teams is pretty bad right now, like 110, but I think a lot of that is still kind of having to do with Ruggles' missed field goal and not having a whole lot of return yards from punts. I am still hoping that at some point we will see a kick or a punt return for a touchdown. We almost saw one last week despite a pretty obvious and and um, tough-to-argue penalty call there. Is Parker Fleming the best best use of of a coaching position? I, I don't know. I, what do I know about Parker Fleming? What do we any of us know about Parker Fleming? But I do think that having a dedicated special teams coach is important. At Mon Meditation, second question is: Why is it so easy for teams to force Day out of establishing and sticking to the run game? I think this one's an interesting question because, first off, we know that Day's background, both as a quarterback and as an offensive coordinator and play caller, is in the passing game. Like, when he came to Ohio State, he revolutionized Urban Meyer's offense and took it from the JT Barrett, you know, JT left, JT right, JT up the middle uh, offense and revolutionized it into something with Dwayne Haskins, with Justin Fields, and now with C.J. Stroud to be one of the most prolific passing offenses in the history of college football. I'm not just saying in the history of Ohio State football, but this this run of Ryan Day from offensive coordinator into head coach at Ohio State is, especially at the Blue Blood Power 5 level, pretty remarkable. And I think when you go back and compare those numbers, even though they have not won a national title during his time, like it's a pretty remarkable run that he's had. And I, and I think that there is something to celebrate about that. However, I, I think Mon or Meditations, Mr. Meditations, can I call you Mr. Meditations or is that your father? Um, I think that there is a an over-reliance on that on times. And I, but I do think that during the offseason, we heard him talking about the the need to be a physical running team when the situation calls for it. And I think that's the, the point of Day's philosophy that gets lost a lot. He's always going to pass the ball. He's always going to want to throw. And when you have the absurd collection of talent that he has established at quarterback and Brian Hartline has brought in at the wide receiver, it would be foolish not to throw the ball. But you have to kind of take what the defense is giving you. And the difference between what Notre Dame was doing from a defensive perspective and what Arkansas State was doing from a defensive perspective is that Notre Dame was saying, and Marcus Freeman said it during the week, they were saying, beat us by running. We were going to take, they were going to take away the passing game as much as humanly possible. Obviously, JSN being, you know, unavailable for most of that game certainly helped. But Ohio State in the second half and especially in the fourth quarter, did that. Notre Dame was giving them the run game and they took advantage and they marched down the field. And for all intents and purposes, the the offensive line beat Notre Dame 
up and down the field uh, en route to a victory. Arkansas State, for whatever reason, seemed to want to do the opposite. They wanted to kind of try to, whether that was jamming up the line with blitzes trying to throw C.J. Stroud off of his, his rhythm or stop the run, they seem to put way too many Ohio State wide receivers in one-on-one situations with undersized and under-talented defensive backs. So I don't really fault Day for sticking with the passing game against Arkansas State because that is what they were being given in that game. Um, would I like to see the running game more consistent? Yes, absolutely. I think that far too often, especially in that Arkansas State game even, the offensive line is still struggling to open holes in the middle of the line. We have seen from the tackles extended, and especially on the outside when you start to get the wide receivers and tight ends involved in the blocking, some really great holes for both Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson to run through. And, and, and that one long, I think, 41-yard run uh, for a touchdown by Travion Henderson had some unbelievable blocking. He basically went the entire way untouched. He also did have an eight-yard run up the middle where he also essentially went untouched. But for the most part, whether it's because of the offensive line not opening holes in the middle or because Mayan and Trey are trying to bounce outside a little bit too easily and and aren't taking the paths that are giving them up the middle, it kind of depends on on each individual play. But I think that interior running game is is where we're missing out from the Ohio State offense. We need to be able to see them establish that run and be able to do it consistently no matter who the defense is, no matter what they are trying to do. I do agree with Day as he talked about during his multiple press conferences this week that you want to establish both parts of the offense, but you don't want to force it if it's not there. If if you don't need it and one thing is working, which the passing game obviously was against Arkansas State, you take what the defense is giving you. I think those things will change um, as we get in more into Big Ten season. Toledo technically like the fourth best defense in the country this year, although they haven't played anybody of note, so those numbers are a bit skewed. But when you get into them and Wisconsin and even Michigan State into October and then Iowa, um, they're going to be much more sturdy against the run. So I, I think the D, the Ohio State offense needs to be able to open up holes, needs to be able to push guys around on the offensive line. And they've shown that they can do it against a pretty good Notre Dame team despite their loss to Marshall. And, and I think the defensive line for Notre Dame is one of the better ones Ohio State will see all year. Is it going to be the best? Probably not. But in the top three, four, sure. Um, and they basically manhandled them once they got things figured out. Um, and I think that that's something that Ohio State can do down the stretch. So I, I think the easiest way to get Dave from running the ball is to let him pass the ball. And I think that's what Arkansas State did. And I think that is something that if Ohio State can establish Mayan and Trey as a dominant running force, teams are going to have to pick their poison. And fortunately, there's enough talent on both sides of the offense in terms of running and passing that Ohio State can make teams pay. Um, but certainly at this point, Day's inclination seems to be pass first rather than run, which can be good because there's so much talent, but can also be tough when the defense is selling out to stop the throw. All right, the final question was one of many that Kenny S. wrote in to me via email. Um, he had a lot of thoughts to go with it. I'm just going to read the main, you know, main point of his question here. And it was, do you think our defense will improve enough to beat Georgia or Alabama by playoff time? And and I think this question is interesting because I don't think the defense has to really 
improve enough to beat Georgia or Alabama. I don't think that Ohio State's defense is going to be the thing that beats either the the Bulldogs or the Crimson Tide if they play either of them in the playoff. I think that the defense has to improve enough to allow Ohio State's offense to beat UGA or Bama. Um, And I think that is possible. I think Ohio State has shown the ability to stop Notre Dame again, not necessarily the same level of offense that either of these teams have, but they've shown the ability to do multiple things. They have shown the ability to really cramp down on um, the running game, and they also showed the ability to shut down Notre Dame's passing game. Now, their passing game is a little different um, because they don't really have a whole lot of vertical threats. They really focus on Michael Mayer as the tight end, and they effectively shut him down completely in that game. He got his but nothing necessarily major or anything, you know, really revolutionary considering they only had one touchdown and that was in the first half. And, and that was, you know, really on a kind of couple fluky things. So here's what I went back and looked since Georgia has not been tested whatsoever. I'm not super worried about that. Um, But what I did, I went back and looked at what Texas did to Alabama and, and what that game looked like on both sides of the ball to see how that lines up with what, Ohio State could potentially do. Now, obviously, things changed when Quinn Ewers got hurt. Um, but, I mean, Hudson Carr really put up just as good of numbers, maybe not as, as much from a completion percentage or uh, yards per attempt or yards per completion, but he was pretty solid. So, overall, Texas threw the ball 34 times with 23 completions and threw for 292 yards. Those sound like numbers that... C.J. Stroud could very much put up against any defense in the country, no matter who it is. Uh, 23 for 34 for 292 yards is something in C.J. Stroud's wheelhouse. The thing is, he uh, Texas did not have a passing touchdown, and they did not throw an interception. If C.J. Stroud goes 23 of 34 for 292 against Alabama, I guarantee you he has at least two touchdowns, probably three. Um, and honestly, if he completes 23 passes, chances are he's got more than 300 yards. In the running game, Texas didn't really do a whole lot. They had 79 yards uh, of rushing, and that's fine. Um, that's something that Ohio State would probably do last year, and, and that would be what we had to deal with. But I don't think that that's going to be what Ohio State would do in a game like this. I think kind of going back to Mon Meditation's question, this would be a game against a team like Alabama where Ryan Day would force the offense to kind of have as many opportunities to run the ball as possible. And, and at least establish that as an option that Alabama's defense had to pay attention to. The thing that I think is interesting that kind of correlates to Ohio State's offense the most from what Texas did against Alabama was the fact that a number of guys, five guys, caught three or more passes. And Ohio State certainly has enough receiving talent, both a wide receiver and tight end, to be quite honest with you, especially with Cade Stover um, and maybe even G. Scott Jr., um, to kind of spread that wealth around. Interestingly, none of those guys had over 100 yards. Xavier Worthy was the closest with five receptions for 97. Uh, Jordan Whittington had seven receptions for 64 yards. Bijan Robinson, who's actually a running back, as many Buckeye fancy follow recruiting will know quite well. Um, he had three receptions for 73 yards. Um, and then everybody else was just kind of hanging out there with a couple catches, some for a handful of yards, some not. But these numbers, I think, are things that Ohio State can absolutely replicate against that defense and probably even exceed. So I think Ohio State's offense against Alabama's defense, yeah, you always hesitate to, to kind of put anything in Ohio State's favor against Alabama. But I think I think they actually have the 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 advantage when those two units are on the field this year. 
On the other side of the ball, Alabama didn't exactly do a ton on offense to, you know, kind of expose Texas's defense. Um, Bryce Young, despite the heroics in the last quarter and especially on the final drive, was only 27 of 39 for 213 yards. He had his Heisman moment, I guess, but not exactly Heisman Trophy numbers. Um, They ran the ball for 161 yards, which is nice. But what's interesting about that, Jace McClellan, who led all running backs with 97 yards on six carries, had 81 of those on one rush. So you take that out, and I know that's not how football works, but if you take that out, that's over half of the total yardage that Alabama had uh, in the game on the ground. And then similar to what Texas did. They had a number of guys catching passes. Actually, again, five guys with three or more, um, but it was spread out pretty well. Jameer Gibbs had nine receptions for 74 yards. Uh, Treshawn Holden had four for 39. Cameron Latu, uh, four for 28. Kobe Prentice, four for 27. Uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, three for 33. I, I just don't see, especially in Alabama's situation, the same level of talent that they've had in recent years. And what's interesting is that they are bringing back a lot of talent from last year's team. And while you think that is usually a good thing, Ohio State is in the same situation here, um, but Alabama's team last year was better. In college football, with so many three and outs uh, heading into the NFL, you think, okay, you're always going to be losing a lot of talent. And I talked about this in a podcast with – Brett Ciancia from Pick 6 Previews before the season starts, it's unusual to see Alabama and Ohio State have this much returning talent. But what that can also mean is that either in Ohio State's case, they kind of underachieved last year and had a lot of young guys playing, which I think is probably true, or in Alabama's case, all of the best players who played last year are gone and they're bringing back guys who were good, obviously. I'm not If they're playing, if they're starting for Alabama, they're good. But aren't that next level talent that you're used to seeing from a Nick Saban coach team? So I think this this Alabama team is going to be good. They're going to continue to get better. But I would actually not be surprised if they didn't make the college football playoff. And I don't remember exactly if I picked them in my final four. But I would not be surprised if if they meet up with Georgia in the SEC championship game that not only do they lose, but it's a second loss and they don't make it into the playoff. Georgia is a whole other story, though. They absolutely beat the living tar out of Oregon. I'm not sure if Oregon's as good as they were even last year, or and I don't think they were great last year, even though they beat Ohio State, or in previous years. So it'll be interesting to see what Georgia does when and if they ever play anybody of note, because um, the SEC East is not nearly as stacked as uh, the SEC West, and I honestly think it's probably not even as good as the Big Ten East during the Big Ten East's best years. Um, I'm not sure that this is the Big Ten East's best year, I, I think. Penn State might be down a little bit. I'll be interested to see what happens with Michigan State. Although Maryland, I think, is actually going to give people some trouble this year. Um, so I'm not sure that that Georgia, because of its non-conference and crossover SEC schedule, is going to be super tested. Um, they'll have their tests, Tennessee, Florida, of course, uh, and Kentucky even. But I don't think they're going to have any of those marquee games until the SEC championship game, which will tell us a whole lot. But if Ohio State's defense can continue to do the things that we've seen so far in the first two weeks, adapt to Jim Knowles' new defense, continue to implement more and more things, he's said throughout the year that they're going to continue to add things throughout the season. They don't want to be 100% installed before the season starts because then teams are going to be able to to look at their film and know exactly what they're going to do. He wants to have surprises up their sleeves. In fact, guys throughout this week have talked about their things being things. I think Jack Sawyer said it, that 
Um, there are things that they have not even begun to, to show in games. Um, I think guys like Jack Sawyer and JT Tui Malowau and, and Mike Hall will continue to get better uh, as they get more opportunities. The thing that will really tell the tale for Ohio State's defense this season for me is the cornerbacks. I think the safeties have played pretty well, whether it's Ransom or McAllister or Court Williams uh, and, and a little bit here or there. And then Josh Proctor kind of bouncing back from getting essentially benched uh, against Notre Dame. Uh, so I think the safeties will be good. I think they'll continue to get better the more they're able to work with Knowles' system. But to me, the corners have been the weak spot of honestly probably the team so far this year, save for some special team stuff. Denzel Burke, despite being CB1 last year and, and coming into this year, has not looked great in either game. Um, Jordan Hancock, who we thought would kind of be the third man in a three-man rotation uh, for the main corner positions, has been out so far this year with injuries. We think he might be back this weekend against Toledo. Not 100% sure, but we will certainly see. You start to get guys like J.K. Johnson in there, and that's probably, you know, there's young guys, but there's only six scholarship corners on the roster. So I don't think you want to go too far down behind J.K. Um, and just kind of stick with the top four, but... If Denzel doesn't rebound, uh, that could be a problem. I, I know the coaches have been full-throated in their support for Denzel and belief that he will come back. Um, but we've seen guys who have breakout seasons regress a little bit after they start to get all these expectations. Not necessarily because they don't work as hard or they don't have the talent all of a sudden. It's just that they cease to be kind of a surprise and an unknown factor for offenses. So they get targeted a little bit more. They spend more time on game film looking at them. They've had a whole offseason to study them. I, I think we saw enough of Denzel Burke last year to know that he is athletic enough to be a really good corner at the Big Ten and college football level. He's not there right now. His last two games have been pretty, pretty spotty. Um, but giving him the opportunity to work through it, I think, is is really uh, important. So we'll see what happens. We'll see how these things look moving forward. But I'm excited to see what happens to this defense because I think the offense will get things figured out, especially with JSN and, and Julian Fleming and hopefully even Cameron Babbis, you know, at some point, knock on wood, and they can get the running game figured out. The defensive progressions and improvements uh, and wrinkles and schemes that, that Knowles employs this year will go a long way to saying where Ohio State's season will end. And considering not only that I picked Ohio State to win the national championship, actually put money on it when I was in Vegas uh, over the summer. Um, I'm hoping that that ends up being true and Ohio State can beat Georgia or Alabama or whomever they end up playing in the college football playoff. All right, everybody, that's all I have for you. Thank you so much for the questions. If you want to participate in one of these Ask LGHL columns or podcasts, feel free to send us a tweet at LandGrant33. Or if you want to send an email, head over to LandGrantHoyland.com. After that main big marquee on the top of the page, if you scroll down a little bit, that first article that's pinned underneath there under the basketball sections has instructions on where you can send an email to ask your question. Uh, so feel free to do that. I'll also be asking for them on social media after the game against Toledo and over the weekend. If you are finding this podcast episode on our website, LandGrantHoyland.com, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are turning out pretty much two podcast episodes every single day throughout the college football season, talking about all of the news, analysis, and insights that you want as a Buckeye fan, but also bringing unique voices, topics, and perspectives that you didn't know that you needed as a Buckeye fan. 
In addition to sending us questions at LandGrant33 on Twitter, you can also find me personally at BWWMatt. So, with all that out of the way, thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.